You want your five-star matches? You want your 30-minute classics? Not me. Big meaty men slapping me. Good ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of the Slapping Me to Wrestling podcast. I'm your host, Randall Beatley, and we're going to just dive on in. We got a lot to talk about um, in terms of, you know, stuff to, to cover, right? So I, I typically don't plan out these episodes. Typically, the way I do things is... I think of a topic or maybe two topics that I want to cover. I start talking about one and I just let that conversation go until I can't talk about that topic no more. And then depending on how long that, you know, that conversation lasted, I'll either move on to another topic or a lot of times the topic that I'm talking about you know, spurns little side conversations that take up time. This episode, I do have a few things um, that I did pre-plan that I do want to talk about on this episode. Um, And so, we're going to review Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. So, what's going to happen is the midweek show, whether it's a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or a Thursday, one of those three days will be an episode posted. And that's going to be more of, hey, what are your top five this? What are your favorite this? It's it's going to be more of a general discussion about wrestling and not necessarily about the news in wrestling or like reviews or anything. The weekend show, whether it's posted Saturday or Sunday, one of those days, um... I'm not going to have, like, planned days because, you know, I do have actual work schedule to work around and when I can record and stuff. But I'm going to have some sort of mid midweek discussion that's going to be more general wrestling discussion. And then I want to have, like, a weekend show, which will be like, hey, this is what happened in wrestling this week. Let's talk about it. Um, and so that's what this episode is. And so... The, um, there's, we're going to review NXT, Raw, and SmackDown. Those are the only programs that I watch. I, I'm going to talk a little bit about AEW, um, and, and what's basically being talked about with AEW. Um, and then we'll, we'll go over, um, I have two, like, questions. That, that I want to ask listeners and that I'm going to answer for myself. Um, and so what we're going to start with is one of those questions. And so th- I actually got the original question and then I switched it up a little bit. Um, but I got the original question listening to the casual wrestling community show by uh, Notorious 
Nerdy D, he uh, he asked this original question, so I kind of switched it up, made it my own. Um, it is inspired by him, though. I do want to give him a shout out for it. I don't want to, I don't want people to assume that I'm like stealing his content. It is sort of from him. I got the inspiration for the question because he started to talk about this. Um, but I did switch the question up a little bit, and that is. So his original question was, if you came into a bunch of money and you started your own wrestling promo and you had to choose between Kenny Omega and CM Punk, who would you choose? And that's where he left it off. Um, and so we're, we're going to answer that question, but I'm going to change the question. I'm going to add to it. If you came into money, if you came into money... And you could start your own wrestling promo. And you could sign anybody in the world, right? You came into, like, Tony Khan-type money, right? You won the lottery. You won a billion dollars. You're the only winner, so you ain't got to split it with nobody. You pay your taxes. You end up with, like, $400 million. You could start this, this wrestling promotion, sign anybody in the world to run your men's division, your women's division, and then your tag team division. For your men's division, do you sign which of these two superstars, Omega or Punk? We'll keep that the same because there is a discussion to have there. Um, for the women's division, I picked two superstars that I think are similar, and that is Bianca Belair and Jade Cargill. You have to choose between one of them to build your women's division around. And then in the tag team, the Young Bucks or the Usos. All right, so let's go through this. We're going to save the men's division for last. I'm going to start with the women's division. Now, you could go either way. I could see justification for either superstar. You could, you could either choose Bianca, and I think that would be a smart pick because she is better in the ring. She has more experience. I, I can thoroughly understand that she's still kind of young. Um, and so you could build literally around her as the baby face of your company. I don't think Bianca's a good heel, but she could definitely be the, the baby face of your company. However, I'm picking Jade Cargill. Here's why. Because I, I have to make the sort of preface before I get into who, why I pick who I pick. If I were to do this and I were, were to create my own wrestling promotion, I'm not just going to go in there like indie style and set up a ring in a high school gym. I'm If I have the type of money where I can sign anybody that I want, we're doing this the right way. I've already thought about it. Like This is the question that I think about to myself. Like If I won the lottery, like when, that, when the... When the Mega Millions was up at almost $2 billion a couple months ago, I played. And I said, if I won this, right, the day that it got beat, it was like one, it was like the third highest ever jackpot or something, right? And I told my friends, I was like, if you're going to play, play today for this drawing because someone's going to win it. The amount of people that are playing, someone's going to win it. Um... And so if you if you want to play, play now, right? Um, and so, you know, I was that entire day waiting for the draw, right? 
I planned. Like, what if I did win? What would I do with the money, right? And I thought about, I've, I've thought about this literal question a lot of times. If I were to start my own wrestling promotion, how would I do it? Um, and, and with this type of money, I could do it the way I want to do it. So I would, um, I would build my own gym, like training, like performance center type thing, training center. And in there, it, it would have like a training, like literal gym, but then you would have like the actual arena. I would build my own arena. That way, I don't have to pay, you know, leasing fees to, to lease out or rent out an arena every month or every, you know, however often I do a show. I have my own arena. Now, it costs more up front to build that arena. But like I said, it's going to have the arena plus like a training center. And then what I will do is... I will find local talent, or not even local talent, but indie talent that is not known, that for the at the front end of it will be cheap talent to put on, right? And I will sign them to exclusive contracts. I will find basically developmental talent, go to these wrestling schools and be like, hey, you train them, I'll put them on the show, they'll be exclusive to me type deals, something like that, right? And they, they will be exclusive to me. They'll have free access to the training center that I build. And, right, and and we'll build them as legitimate stars in my promotion instead of having them run the indies, making $200 a show, I'll pay, I'll pay them, you know, yearly salaries, put them on like in their job they'll be employees right they'll be employees and their job is to essentially come to work and train and then work on work a weekend show in a match right and and you'll get you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars right they won't be million dollar salaries at front right but you get these so I'll get those type of talents young you know 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old talents who are just breaking into the industry, get them exclusive to my company and build a star out of them. I'd hire a, a medical team. I'd hire, you know, a booking team. I'd hire a commentary team. Like we would set this thing up, right? And so let's get to why I picked the superstars that I pick. With that prefaced, I'm picking Jade. Because I think she would benefit from the type of system I just described. My number one problem with AEW's women's division is that it seems like Tony doesn't seem to care about their development and their chemistry and them working together. I've always I've said this for about a year now. Tony Khan, you have to build a developmental system, some sort of training center for these people to to work together and you can't just expect them to run the indies and and you know because you could run the indies all you want and work you know 50 extra matches but if you don't have chemistry with the person you're working with in the ring at that moment that's not going to help you 
And also, Jade Cargill is not running the indies. She's exclusively on AEW. I have yet to see her do a single independent booking. And so how is she training? How is she getting better? Where is the outside work coming from? Right? Is she training at, you know, one of the the talent schools? That's fine. But it, it just doesn't come across as if she's getting better. And so I would love to sign Jade Cargill. She has the look. She's good on the mic. And I think if trained properly and given the resources needed to train her and give her chemistry with the people that she's going to be doing matches with, I think she could turn out to be a superstar. I really do. And so th- th- I j- she also screams like mainstream talent to me to like sort of promote her as this, as this bigger than life excuse me, superhero, right? And so I really do see Jade Cargo in that role. That's why I've always said that she would fit better with WWE because I've always thought that she had that sort of TV show character and not just like a wrestler. Um, And so I would choose to start my company with Jade because... I'm looking at the potential. What I mean by that is Bianca's good now. We know what we're going to get out of Bianca. And again, if you pick her, that's fine. That's a good pick. But I know what I'm getting out of Bianca. I don't think Bianca gets much better. She's great right now, but I don't think she can get any better than she is. And Bianca's going to have a long career doing what she does right now in this niche that she put out for herself, and it's going to be a wonderful career for her that hopefully ends in the WWE Hall of Fame. I I can see that for her. However, Jade Cargill, I see potential, not what we have now. When I if I could get her in a training center, right, with with legitimate trainers and with the actual people she's going to fight with, and to work these, you know, the, these training matches and get this chemi- get chemistry with the people she's fighting against so it's not, it doesn't look like she's just throwing them around the ring looking like she's going to injure them, um, right? And when she wrestles, you know, 20 matches a year, as green as she is, it's not going to get her any better. So you want her to have some sort of training facility where she can run some training matches. Right, and so that's what I would do with Jade, because the way I would build the system, right, and so I would build around Jade. Right, um, let's, let's move to the tag teams. I choose the Usos. That one's the easiest for me. I would choose the Usos simply because my tag division. I don't. It won't be built around Spot Fest. I think that a lot of indie pro, uh, promotions in their tag division, they use their tag division as more of a way to put on like these spot fest matches where they do these crazy stunts, these crazy hot tags. And I wouldn't run my tag division that way. I'd run it. Um, I'd, I'd give some meaning to it. It would be meaningful. I would build around the Usos. 
Um, I would build around them as a heel. I know Jade's a heel. I know Usos are the heel. But I have a reason for this. Um, and I'll tell that in a minute. Because I'm also taking CM Punk. Kenny Omega is good at the independent style of wrestling. If I signed Kenny Omega, it would instantly bring asses to seats in the arena from a certain niche market. But I'm not trying to reach that niche market. So I never finished how I was going to set this up. And I did it on purpose because it, it's part of the conversation with why I take Punk over Omega. So in terms of actually presenting the product... I wouldn't try to get on TV at first. It would be a simple, a simple, you know, YouTube thing where we have live episodes on YouTube every week, right? Saturday episodes live on YouTube at you know some sometime Saturday night, right? And my goal is to reach the casual wrestling fan. Because I live by this motto. The diehards, the marks, the, the wrestling fans, whatever you want to call them. If it has wrestling in the marquee, they're going to show up to the arenas and they're going to watch it. Right? If you look at Dark, Dark is picking up between three to 500,000 people. Those are your hardcores. Those are the people who watch Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage dark those are the people like you're gonna get that amount of people at least on every show right but I'm also trying to present this as a legitimate um, promotion that isn't just booking for you know certain niche markets I'm going to try to expand this to attract normal people who don't watch wrestling on a day-to-day basis. And in that way, CM Punk is much more marketable. He is much more marketable in every aspect than Kenny Omega is. I've said this from the get-go. Omega chose to come to AEW, one, because his friends were running it, and you know, but also I also think that he understood that he was not over with the American audience on a mainstream level. And I know that Kenny Omega is over in Japan. And I understand that Kenny Omega may be over in like Mexico and in, on a worldwide level a little bit more over than he is with the American audience. But I'm promoting my show to the American audience. I'm promoting my show... To the audience that's going to pay money. To the biggest entertainment um, viewing industry. Like, people promote their products to the American audience. We're we're one of the biggest entertainment um, watchers in the world, right? If If you're an American company, right? If you're a wrestling company and you're not trying to get the American fans to watch you, Especially if you're an American promotion. If you're booking for the marks and, you know, the Japanese style. If your goal in this as an American, and, and so I'm speaking to Tony Khan, really. If your goal is, isn't to, to try to reach 
the mainstream American audience. You're failing at the business. And CM Punk is much more marketable. But there will be there will be a lot of fine print in his contract. And I will break like I would I would pull CM Punk into my office. I would say, look, man, Phil, on a personal level, I don't like you. I'm gonna be straight up with you. That's not going to change the way I book my show for you, though. On a personal level, I don't like you. On a character business level, you're going to be my money maker. However, let me set the bar straight. There is none of this you know, acting out because it's going to be like, this is your warning. The next time, if it ever happens, the first time it happens, you're gone. I'll just take the loss for it. Right. Here's what's going to happen. Cause what I'm, what I guarantee maybe CM Punk's contract looks like with AEW is there's there. Ha- I would assume that CM Punk would ask for some sort of guaranteed money. So I would say, see, but look, there is no guarantee money. You'll get paid after every show you work or on a salary basis. And that would that, so it's not just for you, that's for everyone. I'll pay you as normal employees. We'll get paid on a weekly basis, right? As if you were a typical employee of a typical American company. Right? But there's no acting out. There's no sort of going off script. Your promos you can come up with ideas. You can create, you know, your own wording. They're not going to be fully scripted, but they will have to be approved by me. Right? And I wouldn't do these media scrums. I wouldn't do I wouldn't give him any opportunity to speak out of line with anything that is not approved by me. Right? You can write your own promos, but I have to see them before you give them. Cuz it's my company. It's my show, and I want to make sure what you're saying sets the story the way that it needs to be set up, right? And so you look and you say, okay, well, you picked three heels. Okay, so what's the story going to be? Because I've, I've thought this out. Because I picked the Usos who are older, older and don't really need to be the focal point of the tag division, and I picked Punk who is older and doesn't need to be the main main guy for that long. But these are big names. These are going to get ashes and seats and views on, on the YouTube instantly. And you build them as legitimate, you know, competitors for a few months while at the same time building up a babyface tag team and a babyface male superstar to challenge these heels. Now, at the same time, you build around Jade. Because Jade is young and Jade has potential. So I'll build around Jade in the women's division. Um, with By building a legitimate baby face to face her. Um, and having, you know, good matches between that and... Right? But ultimately... Wrestling is basically a story of good versus evil. And I think the best way to tell a story, build, especially with the three characters that I just said I would choose, build them as legitimate threats as heels, while at the same time building a crowd-favorite babyface. Put them together eight months after you start the promotion, right? And then have the babyface beat the heels. 
why uh, then have them have the baby faces have a run while building up other baby other heels right and building up i would really focus on building up a mid card that can transition into the main card right um and that's why i would choose a lot of developmental guys a lot of guys just starting to get into it there also wouldn't be a lot of ego my problem with like AEW or with signing these big name guys whether it's WWE or AEW is I feel that there's a lot of ego in the locker room if I get a bunch of new trainee guys right um that are just developing guys and girls that are just developing there's no ego there that none of them have done shit in the business right and so I could you know watch them develop and you know build pick and choose who I want to use from the day-to-day grind of watching them develop because right so that's how I would run my promotion let me guys know let me know you know um who you guys would choose to to build your promotion around all right um we'll we'll talk about one more thing real quick real short mention of something that I want to want to mention and then we'll review the three WWE product shows from this week. Um, Bobby Fish, I guess sometime in 2021, and it's just now being mentioned, um, said, basically went on a complaint rant about him having a real you know, MMA ability and him putting the... putting Punk over. But basically what happened was, was Bobby Fish felt that Punk didn't respect him enough for him to put for him to take the three count. And if you remember this match, I didn't watch it, but I went back and watched the tape. It, he basically kicked out at like 3.1. Um, and let me just tell you something. That's the most disrespectful shit. Like, I don't want to be a CM Punk apologist. I don't. I don't want to be on CM Punk's side because I don't like the guy. I really don't. On a personal level, I don't like Phil Brooks. And, I, and I've and i never really been, been a fan of CM Punk as a character either. I've just never been a CM Punk fan. Um, he, I was happy when he came back to AEW and I celebrated it because I thought that that meant that more eyes would be on the product there which would make WWE f- focus on getting better product to continue to keep eyes on their product. And so I thought that and any smart person understands that CM Punk is going to be a big draw even if he doesn't really wrestle all that well anymore, right? CM Punk is probably the biggest draw outside of like Roman Reigns right now and Roman Reigns I think the only other people that I feel could draw more than Punk and WWE that are like full-time guys would be Reigns, Rollins, and Owens. I I don't I don't think there's anyone else that could you know move the needle as much as CM Punk could. But let's not be dumb. Like if CM Punk showed up on WWE, that he's going to move you know bring eyes to that product. Um, now I don't think that ever happens. But I'm not dumb. So, like, when he showed up, I'm like, yeah, this is good because this is going to benefit 
wrestling as a whole because more people are going to watch AEW, which means WWE is going to step their game up and you know to, to keep their audience or to gain more members, right? To try to get a hold of you know the wrestling fans. But Bobby Fish basically said that Punk did not respect him for you know taking the loss and being pinned in that it, in a real MMA fight. Bobby Fish said with his experience, he could knock, basically beat CM Punk. And here's, and when I was talking about egos just a few minutes ago, this is what I'm talking about. Bobby Fish, I need you to understand, your job in that match was to take the loss. That is what you get paid for. You don't get paid to do whatever you want, right? You don't get paid to to go into business for yourself and to 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 make these statements of you know I'm better at MMA. Well, you're not in MMA. If you want to go do MMA, Bobby Fish, go do MMA. Go to UFC. But this is wrestling. It's scripted. Follow the script. If you right, imagine. Imagine, because at the time, Bobby Fish, we could say, would be like mid-card, lower-card, right? He wasn't some top guy in the company. So imagine some some guy comes in who's, you know, maybe got like four lines in a, in a, in a movie. And he comes in, and he's in an action scene with the main character where he gets his ass kicked in the script. And he comes in the day they're supposed to film it, and he says, you know what, I think we should change this. I'm an actual fighter. This guy isn't. I should win this fight. Like the director would, and the script writer and the, and the, the rest of the, the, the crew and the cast would look at him and be like, dude, your job is to, to get beat. You're getting paid. This is literally your job is to get your ass kicked. Right, Bobby Fish, your job is to come in and put CM Punk over. That's your job. That's your role. At the end of the day, it's a show. This isn't real fighting. Drop your ego. You're getting paid. Right? Let me use a WWE example. Otis and Gable. Right? Chad Gable had so much potential in American Alpha. They get caught up, and unfortunately, Jason Jordan gets hurt. And I felt that they really didn't have anything for Gable. And so Chad Gable goes around, runs a shorty G. He's now running Alpha Academy with Otis, right? And he's always been sort of the the guy that they, they could trust to go out there, put on a good match, and take the loss. But no one wants to play that role. But Chad Gable gets paid to do it, and he does it well. And at some point, I think he's going to get rewarded for doing it. Like, part of me believes, like, I'll use Dolph Ziggler. That was Ziggler's role for a large portion of his career was to be that guy that put other people over. And I think that's why Ziggler sort of got rewarded in an NXT title run. He had a small one. Ultimately, his job was to put Braun over, but at the same time, he could add to his resume of, I'm NXT champion. Right? And so, Bobby Fish, play your role, shut up, 
play a role, take the money you got paid to play that role, and move on with your life. Like I said, I don't like CM Punk. I don't want to be the guy that's like in his corner because I'm not. But it just seems like everyone's coming out with these CM Punk stories about how he's an asshole, which we already know. But they're sort of trying to... And what it really comes down to is that none of these people saying anything about CM Punk can get over in the way that CM Punk is and can move the needle in the way CM Punk has moved the needle since he's returned to the industry. He's the number one draw. He's, I understand MJF is, is a draw there, but I still think CM Punk is bigger than MJF. As a needle mover, as an, a merch mover, as a... Right? And CM Punk... Right, gets there, and these and these guys with all these egos who think they're just gonna come in and be able to to get themselves over, right? But they're not really getting the show over. They're not getting no one else over, right? They're just sort of focused on themselves. And then Punk comes in, and he's a much more bigger draw than everyone else in the company, and they get jealous. And so now they're gonna start coming out and and putting, you know, negativity on Punk to make him look like the bad guy. And I don't want to support him, but I feel like I have no choice. Because he is a draw. He is a needle mover. Yeah, he does. He's done some stupid things. And he's, he has an ego in and of himself. But Bobby Fish, your role, your role, what you got paid for when you showed up at the arena that night was to put CM Punk over. Drop your ego behind the curtain. Shut the hell up. And just put them over. And don't kick out at 3.1 so that the win sort of gets confused by who botched. Right? Because the question, I remember when that match happened. I didn't watch it. But I remember the reaction on Twitter was, did Bobby Fish forget the kick out? Did the ref, you know, pin too quickly? Like, what? right? I remember it was sort of like a confusion thing. And then people just forgot about it. And then now it's being brought back up. So Bobby Fish. Just play your role. If you're in the in the industry, play your role, my guy. Just play your role. All right, I'm done with that. Let's move on to um, reviewing these shows. So I don't actually, I don't take notes on these things. Um, so I'm going to pull up the results for what happened. Uh it start with Raw, of course. All right. So, of course, we're building for Extreme Rules. So, we start with... Um, Rollins in the ring. Um, where he's interrupted with By Riddle. And then the Judgment Day comes out and sort of attacks Riddle. You know, they try to recruit Riddle to join, and he says no, so they attack him. Um, this then turns into a Finn Balor versus Matt Riddle match. Um, I'll just say this. Rhea's the only thing in the Judgment Day that I really care about. Um, Dominic doesn't seem realistic. 
And we'll talk about him in here in a minute because he is in the main event, and we'll talk about that decision here in a minute. Um, and then, ultimately, Finn Balor wins off of distractions. And... I'm not going to say it's bad. It was a decent segment. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm not a fan of Riddle anymore. I feel he's gone stale. I'm not a fan of the Judgment Day. And I'm really confused on what they're doing with Rollins. Like, where are we moving with Rollins? Is he going to still fight with Riddle? Because, you know, Rollins basically stated he wanted to move into... Um, chasing gold, and I think he has a match with Lashley later next week, I think it is. Um, and so maybe that's where he, he goes, but I don't know. It's just... I, it wasn't a bad segment. I, I'll talk more about the Judgment Day at the at the end of reviewing Raw. We move on. We have the Women's Tag Team Championship match. Raquel and Aaliyah versus Dakota Kai and Io Sky. Um, and I, to me, I always knew if they did a rematch early, before the pay-per-view, that Damage Control was going to win. I felt that that's the original plan. Um, apparently, Aaliyah, you know, Got hurt. Ultimately, we have new champions. Um, and so here's here's my thing with with Aaliyah and Raquel, and I've said this before. I just don't understand the appeal of Aaliyah. She's beautiful. Her clothes, you know, are tight, and so it reveals a lot more of, of her skin. And so, as a man, like, yeah, that's that's cool to look at. But you got to give me more than that, right? You got to give me more than that. Like, what I always loved about Trish was that she looked good, but she also could kick ass, right? Same with Lita, right? Like, like when I go back and I think about it, like, Stacey Keebler was beautiful, but I never really cared about her because she really she she couldn't go in the ring. And a lot of these like bikini girls, they're in the the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era and the Bra and Panties type matches, right? They just they left no impression, right? Yeah, they look good, but at, right. And so Aaliyah to me is just not good in the ring, and and so her looks only take her so far, right? Like Mandy looks beautiful. But she can also go in the ring, and so that's why I like Mandy. Raquel is beautiful. I think Raquel is gorgeous. But And she could go in the ring somewhat. Um, I just... Aaliyah's not the worst. I think we had a, a, a worse moment, and, I, and we're going to talk about it here in a minute. I just don't understand the appeal of Aaliyah. Um, so we get damage control as... You know the the new tag champions, which is good. I thought I I thought that that was going to be the original plan from the beginning. Um, so I actually enjoyed this, um, them doing that and hopefully building a story about. 
Part of me wonders if that's going to be like the story that brings back Sasha and Naomi at some point. Um, we, we hopefully we, we we see something come out of the women's tag division um, in the in the future as we build towards you know actually having a decent division. Next is Gar- Johnny Gargano's first match back in like nine months against Chad Gable. Um, so I'll say this. Two excellent wrestlers. This was a, a good match from that it... You know, I knew this was going to be one of those like flippy... Not really flippy, but like spot fest sort of, you know, independent style matches. Because that's how Gargano... D- you know, wrestles. Um, I knew that that you know that style was going to happen, and and there was a point in the match while I was watching this, I was like, "This is good," but this is part of the reason I don't like, you know, Johnny Gargano as much as I used to. Is he just comes off as as sta- like there's no character behind Gargano. The only thing I'm getting is that he's a pure he's a, he's a wrestler, and he he's good in the ring. But that's only good enough for certain fans. The casual fans are going to want to know why we should care about him. Right? And so, while Gargano gets a big win, like I said, Gable's rolls to put people over, and he does it well. This was a very good match. Um, and then Theory attacks Gargano at the end. And ultimately, this is probably going to build up a Theory versus Gargano feud, which I kind of figured would be what they would go into anyway once he debuted, because that's sort of where this thing ended. The only other person I could see, like Gargano calling out for his first feud, would have been Grayson Waller had he been called up to the main roster at this point. Because Waller, if you remember, was the guy that sort of sent him home when he left. Right? Um... All right, so we get to the... Bianca Belair comes out. He issues an open challenge, right? That's what faces do. I'm a fighting champion. Who wants to come and take my belt? And it's fucking Sonya Deville. So automatic... Like, I wasn't expecting some big return. But I definitely was not expecting Sonya Deville. And with it being Sonya Deville, it's disappointing because you already know Bianca's going to win. Which... We kind, I kind of figured with, with, with this being on Raw that she was going to retain. But it's Sonya Deville. Now, let's talk about this match. Let's talk about Belair and Deville. And there's a segment before, that we have, before this match that we'll, we'll cover in a minute because it's probably the best moment of Raw. Uh... <sighs> There were moments in this match where Sonya Deville, in my opinion, like my thoughts were, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's behind. She's trying to play catch up. And what I mean by that is when when you watch wrestling and you understand that it's a performance, and especially with WWE that a lot of these things are run through, right? you can pick out like, where, like, moves are sort of messed up. And Sonya, she started, like, 
I don't know. It, and it's hard to explain like certain moments. Um, it just looked like the veil was, you know, the timing was off. And that she was sort of lost in the ring. And I'll tell you something. The veil has never been like super over in terms of like the best wrestler. I've never been like, oh, Sonya Deville, she's like woman's champion to material. Again, I think she's finer than hell. Um, I think a lot of her fandom comes from the fact that she is LGBT in that community. Um, and so she, I hate to say this, but I feel like she was kept during the cuts because she could promote to that, that demographic. Um, I just, I, she, ha, I don't even know the last time she like wrestled week to week. It's been multiple years and I just, I feel like it shows because a lot of it seemed like it was mistimed and that she was behind and, and lost in the ring. Cause you ever like, you put, you know, like a single a baseball player, you know, you take a batter from single a who's maybe seen pitches that go like 80, 90 miles an hour, right? And you move him up to the MLB and now he's facing, you know, 97 mile an hour fastballs he's never seen before from the best pitchers in the game. And he's going to look lost, right? And that's what this looked like to me. Like you took like a a, a player in juniors, right, in, in, in training who, you know, maybe just started and, and – and, she just right. She was in the ring with someone that is top caliber, and it sort of it looked like she didn't belong, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying Sonya Deville is bad, because I I know people are going to hear that and they're going to say, well, you're not a wrestler. You've never trained. You've never been in the ring. You don't have the right to judge them. Yes, I do. Shut the fuck up. She looked off, and as a fan, I I picked up on it. And I picked up on it because, as a fan, it threw me off. I stopped watching the match at some point. It became background music, right? It became white noise for me to to, to scroll on TikTok to, because one, I just it makes the product look faker than we already know that it is. Uh, and and right, like if you watched a movie and like an actor was messing up, like small things. Like, they looked like they didn't belong there. You would be like, why am I watching this? This is bad, right? And and so, she wasn't bad. But she she looked... She looked like she was in the ring with someone who was of much more... Um, she looked like she was in the ring with someone who, you know, was of higher caliber than her. And that's not a bad thing. You're working to get her over and to get her better. But I feel like Sonya could really benefit from a run in NXT. Um, I'm reading from Bleacher Report to, to get the matches. And they, in their notable moments and observations, it says there seemed to be pacing issues. It looked like they were working at different speeds at times. And that's what I was picking up. So I'm not the only one who picked up on it. it and it led to some awkward moments. Right? Now, the segment that I do want to pick up on 
that happened before the DeVille match was Theory, you know, we came back from commercial break, Theory was still in the ring, started to give a promo, and Kevin Owens came out. And Kevin Owens, here in the last, like, month and a half, has given two of the best promos of the year. I don't know if this was scripted or straight off the dome or if it was, like, pre-written and Owens was able to give his... I, I don't know how what what's going on. But this was the best promo I've heard in a WWE setting, I think, in a long time. Like, in a very long time, right? Owens is just so good. Like, Owens, to me, is that complete package. Because he's good in the ring and because he's good on the mic and he has personality... He doesn't have to be Braun Strowman buff. Um, right? He's sort of... First off, he's already, like, big as hell anyway. In terms of, like, like how tall is Kevin Owens? He's six foot 260. That's not bad. Right? That's not bad. Um, That's average, like... That's average, like, height and weight. But he, you know, I like to say that size matters. But when it comes to Kevin Owens, he's of average size. He looks, but he also has this sort of brawling style. Where, like, if I run into Kevin Owens, yeah, he's probably going to beat my ass. But he also has this charisma where, like, Stone Cold wasn't the biggest motherfucker in the ring. But Stone Cold had this charisma and this mic ability and in in ring style that, you know, was captivating. And and, and Owens is the same way. And it looks like they're trying to make him babyface, and I don't know if I like that or not. But I'm just going to... That promo was so good. I don't really have much more to say about it. All right. For the 300th time this year, Omos is getting rebooted, and it's going to fail again. Can Can we stop? Can we stop with Omos? Put him back down, move him back down to NXT, give him some more training, give him some sort of gimmick, because he's not getting over. He's just not getting over on the main roster. We're not even going to talk about him. He, he, he was in a, a squash match with some giants, or excuse me, with some jobbers, and, I mean, it was eh, but... You know, we got a Lashley-Rollins confrontation, which set up the United States title match next week. We then had a segment with The Miz in his house. Um, he was giving some interview, and in the background he saw Dexter. And they the the interviewer asked about Dexter Loomis, said his name, and Miz went off and said, you know what, never mind, we're not having this. Walked outside, went into his car with Maurice, who, by the way, stunning. Um, and then they turn the camera around and Dexter is inside the Miz's house. Right? Um, Loomis just has this weirdness about him that's intriguing, but I don't know where they're going with this. I really don't. Um, so then we get to the main event, Edge and Dominic Mysterio. Um, Edge won by DQ... Um, the only one I care about in Judgment Day is Ripley. 
I don't care about Dominic. It, it, I was trying to give this an opportunity because I've, you know, been my complaint with Dominic is that he was bland. And so with the heel turn, I was like, okay, maybe they can give him some edge. Now he's still bland because the way he's being presented is if is as he is Rhea Ripley's little bitch. And I'm sorry, I can't take you seriously. It's like like Rhea Ripley's the best thing in the storyline. And it just he, he he seems uncomfortable in this role. Um he seems uncomfortable. And it seems like Edge is out again. The report is like grade two MCL sprain. And someone reported it. And in the fine print, um, that's you know, basically said um probably not a real injury, blah blah blah. Look, if you're going to report on cave fabe injuries, can you at least respect kayfabe a, a little bit? Just say WWE reports Edge has grade 2 MCL sprain. And leave it at that. We all know he's probably not really hurt. But we're, but if you're going to report it... Like that's my thing with like wrestling journalism. Is that it lives outside of kayfabe. And it doesn't protect the business at all. And just to let you know... Uh, Edge is being told as having a grade 2 MCL sprain, and, but it's probably not real. Well, no shit is not real, you dumb cunt. Like, I'm sorry. It just... Um, alright. Um, so now we move on to NXT. It was their year anniversary of NXT 2.0. Um, so... We move down. We start with a steel cage match um, for the tag team championships between Pretty Deadly and the Creed Brothers. I'm not a fan of either two of these tag teams. And so I'll be honest. When I, I record these shows and then I watch them afterwards. And I, I sort of fast forward through um, the the matches or the segments I don't care about. I try to watch as much as possible. But I don't care about Pretty Deadly. And uh, the big story is, you know, Damon Kemp got involved again. And that's how they lost. Um, it was... A decent match. Again, I don't grade matches because I don't sit here and have the time to, to really care about grading um, matches. Um, I don't know. It just... Like I said, because I'm not... Uh, I don't really necessarily care about it. You know, The only tag team I really care about in NXT, I'll be honest, is uh, Briggs and Jensen with Fallon Henley. Um... But she actually has a match. This is the next match against Lash Legend, which is another one that needs a lot of help. I'm sorry. I don't care about Lash Legend at all. Um, so Fallon comes out here looking gorgeous as always. Um, 
this is essentially the end. Like, it was a really, 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 you know, bad squat. It was a decent squatch match. It was like a three-minute match, which was disappointing because Henley has so much potential. And she doesn't really wrestle all that much. So I was excited to finally see her on screen. Um, but it looked like, you know, backstage that maybe she could challenge Mandy Rose. Um, but I don't think she's ready for, to be champion yet. So I wouldn't believe that matchup at all. Um, this also was the match they used to promote Connor's Cure. Which is fine. I understand why they do it. September is pediatric uh, cancer night or month, and so I understand it. Um, I just... I, I'm not going to say it's bad that they implement it into their stories, but it just it, it's, it's, it's cheap marketing to promote the Connor's Cure, and I'm not a big fan of promoting to these... Right, because they create Connor's Cure... So that they could, you know, it's a tax write-off, right? That's all it is. It's a tax write-off. They can donate part of their salary to this charity, even though it's their own charity, and they can write it off, right? Um, so the next match, I comp I'll be honest with you, completely skipped over this match. I simulated right through this match. Quincy Elliott made his debut, and I'll be honest, I was not sold by the promos leading up to it. I will simulate through every single one of his matches. I don't like the gimmick, and it's not a a diva, I'm a homophobe or whatever. I don't care about that part. It's, um, it's not good. That's why I, I skipped it. Um, I, I, I also don't see this gimmick getting over. With casual fans, nor Quincy Elliott able to, you know, be that guy. He's not a top player. He seems like a character to me that's going to be mid-card his entire career, right? Um, after this, uh, Ulisa Leon uh, comes out, says she's injured. Um... Von Wagner interrupted and starts fighting with Senga. That's, I don't know where that's going to lead. Anyway, the Angelo family versus Cameron Grimes and Gacy. So it's Tony D and uh, it's Stax, Channing, Channing Stax Lorenzo, which first off, I love the, the Angelo family. Um... Be honest with you, I'm pretty sure I skipped through this match too. I'm not a fan of Gacy and what they're doing with him. Uh, Gacy won with great Gacy and Grime won, um, but it is what it is. And then you had, I think this was the main event. No, the main event was the other thing. Okay, so then you had Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark versus Kiana James and Ariana Grace. I'll say this: if you're watching, like, like so. If you're if you were just to turn on the channel, these were four, well, three beautiful women. I'm sorry, I'm, I don't like Zoe Stark. She's okay, but she's not like Nikita Lyons beautiful. And Ariana Grace, 
Chef's kiss. Beautiful. Keanu James, same. Right? They're going to work well as like a heel team. Um, Nikita didn't really wrestle much in this match. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be a lot of chemistry between her and, and Starks. Um, this is, wasn't a good match at all. Um, and then we had Bate challenging JD McDonough. And then well, Vic, Vic Joseph interviewed Braun Breaker. We then get to Javi Burnell and Hank Walker. Hank Walker's a new signee that he's been using as a, a, a security guard. And this was like the first time they ever actually showed a security guard going straight from security to, right, and actually mentioning that. But a lot of like NXT trainees are the security guards, right? But you never really see them going from security guard to in ring like Hank Walker is. He ended up, of course, winning. Um, and then uh, after that match, um, NXT announces the arrival of Oro Mensa next week. I don't know who that is, or maybe there was a promo for it. Um, and, and we'll probably talk about that next week. We then get Grayson Waller. Um, uh, coming out and giving a promo about how he was upset that he was not in the final four for the fan vote for biggest star in NXT over the last year, which everyone knew Braun Breaker was going to win, right? Come on now. And then you get your main event. Carmelo Hayes comes out. He was supposed to fight um, Wesley. But he got beat up backstage earlier in the night by Hayes and Trick Williams. And so the A-champ basically was like, well, I'm going to go take the night off. Then Solo Sokoa comes out. And they have a match. And Solo Sokoa is the new North American champion. I need Carmelo Hayes versus Braun Breaker and have Carmelo Hayes be the one to beat Braun Breaker, have Carmelo run NXT, send Brock or Braun to the main roster. That's what needs to happen right now. Um, and then Solo becomes a champion for the first time, and all, obviously this comes as like, well... He needed gold so that he wasn't like the weird one standing out in the bloodline. Um, but the match itself was very, very good. Um, and then at the very end of the show, they did another promo with Shawn Michaels talking over, you know, moments from the last year. And they the big surprise is... It is no longer going to be NXT 2.0. They removed the 2.0. They have a new logo. It's like white and gold. And it seems to be that white and gold is going to be like a mix of black and gold, which was like taking NXT as a third brand. 
and a, a mix between that and developmental 2.0. Um, and so I'm excited for it, as long as it is sort of like still developmental. Because it's not the third brand. It has to be developmental. You don't have enough superstars down there to make it like a third competitive brand. Um, and you need a place to develop superstars, right? Before NXT, you know, like in the early 2000s, you had OVW or FCW, right? And it wasn't ever like implemented, right, on the the main roster, right? But it was their, your developmental. And I feel that's what NXT should be with a little bit of mixture of... of and it seems to also be that Triple H is really trying to focus on, hey, look, you're going to have to watch NXT because some things that happen there are going to affect the storyline on SmackDown and Raw. So you got to watch all three, which is fine because I do that anyway. Um, but I know a lot of people who watch Raw and SmackDown and never watch NXT that are now going to have to watch NXT to figure out what's going on, which I think is fine. It's not a big deal. Let's go to SmackDown. Um, I'll be honest to... Um, Friday SmackDown was a little slow to me. I wasn't enjoying it as much. It starts with Logan Paul calling out the bloodline and Roman Reigns. Um, definitely, we're definitely getting this match at, uh, they set up this press conference that's going to happen Saturday. Um, I think they had a graphic. It's going to be online and I don't know what time. I don't remember what time. Don't really necessarily care. We're going to get Reigns versus Paul at Crown Jewel. That's what it seems to be happening. Which is fine, I guess. But, so we get that promo, and then Ricochet comes out and fights, um, who is it, Sami Zayn? Um... And then... I mean, Sammy sort of started infighting with Jay, which caused him to lose the match. And then, um, we move into Sokoa versus Madcap Moss for the North American Championship, which of course Solo Sokoa won. Um, but this whole segment, I hated the pacing because. It felt like it was all just one segment. Like we did the starting promo and two matches, and it all felt like one segment. And that was annoying to me. The, the timing was just weird. Um, however, this just feels like this is a money grab. But that's what Crown Jewel has always been. Was It's put over the most big stars as a money grab. Um, but the story is also sort of like the bloodline, right? There's nothing really with Reigns to do, and they're really working the infighting of the bloodline. That's the most interesting thing right now. Um, um, this review of it says, you know, Zayn has found himself a strong ally of Sokoa, um, who is being positioned as the leader's de facto leader in the absence of Reigns. Like I said, it wasn't a bad segment. It was okay. I just didn't necessarily like the timing and how like all th three segments 
intertwined into like one. Um, we then had a promo with Karrion Cross, promising to forever antagonize Drew McIntyre. We then had Alpha Academy uh, attacking Braun Strowman, who first attacked Maximum Male Models. The most interesting thing out of Maximum Male Models right now was sort of this like slow transition of Max Dupree back into L.A. Knight. So last week he said something of like, um, he he said the word night, um, and like paused, and then they're in Anaheim t- tonight, and he says you know just a stone's throw away from L.A. and then pauses, like they're slowly transitioning them back to L.A. night, and that's cool. That's the most interesting thing out of Maximum Male Models, but they come out. Uh, Braun Strowman attacks them from behind, and then Gable comes out. He um, distracts Strowman just enough for Otis to attack him from behind, and then Strowman uh, sort of runs them off, and it set a set up a match between Strowman and uh, Otis. We then had um. Bailey and uh, the rest of Damage Control giving a promo interrupted by Raquel, which set up a match between Bailey and Raquel. Bailey won. After the match, they started, you know, um, attacking uh, Raquel again, and then Shotzi comes out to to rescue Raquel. Um, we had an interview with Rousey, which gets interrupted by Liv. Liv basically said, I demand your respect, that I'm the only one in the, on the planet that has beat you twice. Um, and then challenged Rousey to an Extreme Rules match at the Extreme Rules pay-per-view, which is fine. Let's you know actually use the gimmick for once. It was accepted, and, that it, and then Rousey basically said Morgan's funeral was going to be this match. Um... I don't know. Rousey just seems so awkward doing promos. Like she smiles and then I don't know. It's just awkward. I don't I don't know. Awkward to me at least. Um McIntyre challenged Karrion Cross. Promo was okay. We then get a number one contender for tag team the next guy. Basically a match to determine the new number one contender for the tag team championships against the Usos. Um, have I ever told you guys I hate fatal four-way tag matches because it seems like they do these things? Like, anytime they try to... WWE does this a lot. I feel like I've seen a lot of fatal four-way matches to determine number one contenders, and I hate them. I hate them. Um, especially in the tag form. I hate them. Um, Brawling Brutes won. That's Ridge, Holland, and Butch. They ended up winning. Um, after a, a sneaky pin on Ludwig, um, and Kofi took the pin. Um, and then the Usos will face Brawling Brutes next week. Um, and then that's how the show ended. Overall, not a bad week, but I'm just, I don't know. I kind of figured this is how I feel about Triple H taking over. Is that 
He's trying to slowly make the main roster what NXT was under black and gold and then set up sort of like a developmental system to do that. And that's fine as long as there's good storyline. I just I feel like a lot of these episodes are just slow. It's not much to critique because a lot of it is good. It's just a lot of it just doesn't excite me at the moment, to be honest. But I'm going to continue to watch. Hopefully it gets better. Hopefully the storylines become clearer and what we're going to do. All right, so we've done that. There's still a lot to talk about here. I know this has been a long episode. Let's continue. Um, let's talk about AEW real quick. We're not going to review the show, but I'm hearing from AEW fans that this is sort of a AEW hard reset. And I don't think that's at all what's happening because... Tony Khan followed the same playbook that he played. I just feel like he's backed up in a corner. His his top stars, literally the people he was going to plan the entire, you know, storyline up until what what's next full gear in November, what he was going to try to base you know three months of storyline on, just got suspended or having to be off TV, and. Now he's going to have to basically go back to, right? But he, he, he used the same formula, right? I'm not going to go, you know, and talk about each match acting like I watched it because I didn't. But he, I don't care about Rampage. I clicked the wrong button. Dynamite. There we go. What What, what did he give us? What did he give us? On Dynamite. You got Gravara versus Moxley. For. To, to go into the. The finals of the. Grand Slam Tournament of Champions. Right. You have. MJF come out and debut. His little thing with Stokely Hathaway. Called The Firm. You had Jungle Boy versus Jay Lethal. Right. You come out, you have Hobbs versus, you know, Hobbs in a, in a basically in a, a squash match. Lucha Bros versus Swerve in Our Glory. Tony Storm and Athena versus Deeb and Brit, uh, which I don't, I know, I don't know. Uh, and then you have Jericho versus Danielson to figure out the finals again. Oh, look, you have Moxley versus Danielson which everyone predicted when they came out with the tournament. Um, so, ultimately, there I feel they give this to Moxley. That's just the easy option. I feel like they're going to try to set themselves back on MJF, Moxley, Britt, um, and I wish they would, you know, use FTR more because they would be decent tag team champions or, right, or, you know, add someone to Swerve and I'll go, I don't know. I just, they went back to the same formula they always do. Like, this isn't a reset. This is just, you have to change the story because the big guys you're promoting around got suspended for being dumbasses, right? 
So I don't think it's a reset, necessarily. I want to know what you guys think. I don't have much more to talk about it. Let's talk about... we got two more things to talk about. Um, so here's another question. I said I had two questions. Here's the second question. Does the champion make the superstar? Or does the superstar make the champion? And essentially, do titles matter in WWE or AEW or in wrestling in general? Do the number of championships you have matter? And my answer, shortly, no. Um, I've said this before. Titles do not mean shit in the industry. They are simply props to push storyline. I don't care if you're a 17-time world champion or a one-time world champion. If you're champion, right, that championship is simply a prop to push a storyline, right? They're not real. You didn't actually earn it. You didn't actually win it. You got scripted to win it, right? And a lot of it, right, should have a story behind it. So I've always said briefcases or tournaments or hell, even matches, like the mat, a match itself, right? In wrestling, in professional wrestling, the match itself is a prop to set up the next um, plot um, sequence in a story, right? A title is a prop to push storyline. So you have your champion, either a good or a bad guy, right? So if it's a good guy, you find a bad guy who wants to take it from him. If it's a good guy, if it's a bad guy who's your champion, you find a good guy, who, and the idea is to try to save the company from the bad guy, right? That's wrestling. That's how many titles you win in your career means absolutely jack shit, right? To how good you are. For example, Seth Rollins hasn't held gold in what feels like two years, but I think he's the best guy on the WWE roster. Same with Kevin Owens. When was the last time Kevin Owens held gold? But I think he's the best guy on the roster. Right? A lot of the bloodline storyline right now doesn't revolve around fighting for championships. It right, but there's a story there and it's good. Right? So you don't have to be champion to be considered good. The champion, or like the the belt itself, is only there to push plot and story, and that's how that that's how I feel about it. I don't have much more to say about it, because how many titles you win in your career means jack shit to me. I don't care if you're a five time Intercontinental, two time United States, and and six time World Champion. That means jack shit to me, because you were booked to win that. You didn't actually win it yourself, right? And then the last thing I want to talk about is how psyched am I for Roman versus Logan Paul? None. Like I said, it's a cash grab. Um, hopefully Roman wins and we just move on towards... He's not going to be at Extreme Rules. He's not going to be... When is Crown Jewel? That is my question. Maybe they'll announce it at the press conference because I didn't even know Crown Jewel was going to be a thing this year. I figured since they did Clash at the Castle, they weren't doing Crown Jewel. November 5th. 
So they're going to do two November pay-per-views because Survivor Series is literally like 21 days, like three weeks after Crown Jewel. Okay, so we're going to build two Extreme Rules. We're then going to do Extreme Rules, and we're going to go from there a month later and go to Crown Jewel. And then three weeks after Crown Jewel, we'll have... Um, Survivor Series, that ends the year, right? Because December doesn't have a pay-per-view. We then go to day one on the 1st of January, and then it's Royal Rumble. Um, so with Roman, he's not going to be at Extreme Rules. He'll be at Crown Jewel. He'll be at Survivor Series more than likely. And then probably show up at Royal Rumble, Hopefully. Probably not day one, but probably Royal Rumble. And I think he loses the title at at Rumble. I think he does. Or in my booking, he would. He would. And that is what the next episode is going to be about. How would I have Roman lose? I'm a big Roman fan, but I think he has to drop at least one of the championships. So I have an idea on how he can do that. Um... So that's the entire next episode, right? Uh, like I said, my my weekday episode um, is always going to be some sort of like fun activity just to talk about, you know, how would I book something or, you know, what would I change about a certain superstar? You know, just fun ideas that I come up with. So next episode, either Wednesday or Thursday next week, will be me telling you how I would have Roman Reigns lose the championship. Thank you for putting through and working through this this episode. I know it was a lot. Um, typically, these episodes are just going to be Raw, SmackDown, and NXT reviews and nothing else with it. But there was a bunch of other stuff that I didn't cover in the last episode that I did want to mention here. Um, this is on this weekend episode. I, I want to thank you for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Please tune in to hear how I would have Roman lose the title at Royal Rumble. Um, I thank you for listening. This has been Randall Beatley, the host of the Slapping Meat Wrestling Podcast. I will see you on the next episode.